Hello and welcome everybody to the RSTV podcast today. My name is Jared Moss. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor at The River. And whether you go to our church or another church or one of your friends sent you this podcast episode, we're just glad that you are on with us today. This is one of the coolest things where once a week I get the chance to come and have a conversation with you and uh, wherever you're at, whatever earbuds or beats or AirPods you're listening to, or if you're in your car or on a jog, however, we're just glad that you are taking some time to spend with us today and we pray that we find you well on this podcast. Um, things are a little bit different today. Um, things are a little uh, concerning and, and sad and we didn't start off with a peppy intro and we won't really have a peppy outro because um, it hasn't really been a peppy mood the last week or so. In fact, usually I have a guest with me, uh, either my man Michael Money or one of our other youth leaders or students that will be with us the next week. And if you're not familiar with us with RSTV, we are a youth and young adult ministry at the River, a church here in Searcy, Arkansas. And so whether you're a college student or a junior high student or a high school student, our uh, River Students is a home for you. And in fact, this past Monday, we had our uh, River Student Reunion, and we got everybody together again. Some 80 young people came out, and we ate and hung out, played some games, water kickball, had some worship, and just had a great opportunity to kick off the summer and see each other again after a draining, ridiculous, distant, emotionally, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 season. And you know, we mentioned COVID-19 a second ago. It was a trial. It was difficult. It was awful. But not even near, I would say, as difficult and awful as what we're enduring as a nation and a generation right now. Right now, this last week, we've been watching protests and some riots uh, as people are lifting up righteous cries for justice in the wake of the tragic death and, I will say, murder of George Floyd. If you haven't been following along uh, George Floyd, a man in Minneapolis, was apprehended and arrested by the police, and uh, an officer by the name of Derek Chauvin held him against the ground uh, as he was already subdued and handcuffed, and um, within the police's power, a crew of them, four of them, held him to the ground while the officer uh, horrifically, over eight and a half minutes on film, put his knee into the neck of Mr. Floyd until he asphyxiated and passed away. And I saw the video. I was one of the first people to see the video um, last week, and it just broke my heart. I just wept. Um, I cried. I was frustrated. I was angry. I shared about it. I posted about it and joined in with the chorus of many of my brothers and sisters, uh, some black, some white, and, and beyond, in a cry for justice for George Floyd. It's heartbreaking what happened. It's evil what happened, and I'm praying for the Floyd family. In fact, at the time of this recording, um, it was George Floyd's funeral today, and I'm praying for his family. I'm praying for the uh, that district in Minneapolis and Minnesota and for the people of that community to come together uh, like never before. I'm praying for peace and um, reconciliation. But what happened is the death of George Floyd set off a chorus that I did not even see the potential and the potency um, of, of which coming forth across the nation. Um, George Floyd, being an African-American male, um, Derek Chauvin, Officer Derek Chauvin being a Caucasian, a white male, um, it resounded and renewed and sounded, and especially in the wake of Ahmaud Arbery's uh, death a couple weeks back, a cry for justice in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement. And everybody all of a sudden 
began to uh, post and share and comment and call out in one chorus for justice. And frankly, I'm glad. I'm glad that America is calling for justice um, for that officer. I'm grateful that people are demanding that George Floyd's death not be in vain and are 100% nearly wholesale rising up and condemning police brutality. How many videos have we seen in the last few years of police brutality? In fact, I was thinking about this uh, the last week or so. When I was growing up, if you wanted to see a murder, you have to watch a rated R movie where somebody gets killed sort of graphically in a fictional uh, setup. Today, our kids are watching actual murders and deaths take place on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook in front of them every single day. What a time to be alive. What a time to uh, take in that sort of hurt and anguish. And what a type of emotion to bear. Unfortunately, we're all bearing it as emotion together. And some of the resounding cry has been incredible. Some of it has been phenomenal as people have gathered to protest and call for justice against police brutality and sign an alarm that this is not okay. What took place is evil, sinful, and wicked, and absolutely not okay. And I'm so glad that both the church and the community has come together to declare that truth. However, a lot of the protesting has turned violent. In many cities, it's turned to rioting. It's, uh, I've seen many places where business owners, uh, not just white business owners, but black business owners, uh, complaining and hurt about, at the Black Lives Matter movement because people that are rioters have come in and snatched this movement and are throwing things through windows and setting buildings and churches on fire and um, demanding justice. And many people have a lot of mixed emotions. Where do we draw the line between protest and riot and so on and so forth? And it's scary almost to speak out because nobody wants to communicate a lack of empathy for George Floyd and what happened because we all believe that what happened was absolutely heinous and evil and barbaric at best. I have wrestled with this. It's been really hard. It's been really hard. And I have to say, as somebody who has white skin um, or whiter skin, should I say, I uh, have gone through a litany of emotions because I made a decision on this uh, after I watched the video that I was just going to listen. If you know me, you know I'm very opinionated. In fact, I'm a preacher. I guess I have to be. Um, I heard somebody say one time, a preacher said, it's not our job to address people on their journey. And I was sitting there thinking, then what is our job? Like (laughs) the whole point is to preach and proclaim truth. And uh, the truth of God's word. And um, it's easy for me to post things, comment, and share before I have all the facts. And in one instance, I didn't want to wait on facts for this one because I had the facts. I watched the video. I'm like, well, look at it. Um, it's horrible. And I, I chose in this uh, case to listen to the cries and the pain and the anguish and the stories um, of some of my brothers and sisters that are African-American descent Um And the scripture the Lord highlighted to me was from Romans. And the Bible says to weep with those that weep. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Jared, just weep with those that weep. Just show empathy and just hear them out. Weep with those that weep. For a long time, people have talked about white prejudice and they've talked, or sorry, white privilege and prejudice and systemic racism and so on and so forth. And um, I'm not racist. I've never been a racist. I, um, I wouldn't pretend to hopefully 
not have bias. I think everybody has bias or some sort of prejudice to some extent because we live in a fallen world and the uh, enemy comes and corrupts our view of things that aren't familiar to us, even against our best wishes and notions. And sometimes things may lay dormant in there, no matter what the color of your skin. And the Holy Spirit has to bring that out and deal with it. And, um, but I, I just haven't, I've never really just leaned in intentionally. And so this time I did things different a little bit. I listened to some videos uh, for some black pastors. I read a lot of articles. I watched, I waited, and, and I took it in. And I began to realize something I've never realized before. Here's a fact. By and large, the black community feels hurt. By and large, the black community feels unheard and feels that there has been a slant against them and a systemic slant against them. I don't know what it's like to have an encounter with a cop and have a fear and an expectation that it will end in my death. I don't know what it's like um, to feel that sort of way. I don't know what it's like. And as I begin to hear the stories, I can't imagine just being an individual that walking into an elevator, if a lady clenches her purse because she looks at a color of my skin, that just sounds horrible. It sounds awful because it is horrible and it is awful and it's absolutely evil. But unfortunately, that bias has been present in a lot of ways for generations. I was telling somebody the other day, if I can just get vulnerable and open, uh, when I was growing up, some family taught me that mixed marriages weren't okay. Meaning if a black person marries a white person or Asian marries a white person or you know Mexican or vice versa, or any of those other races together at the same time. And I remember I asked this person, why are they not okay? And they said, well, and they were talking about the Tower of Babel when the people came together to build a building uh, that would reach to the heavens to make a name for themselves. One of the funniest things about the Bible in the book of Genesis, it says all the people were united and had one common goal in mind. And they said, let's build a tower to the heavens and make a name for us ourselves. That way we won't be scattered across the earth. As they begin building it, it says the Lord examined what they were doing, and he confused them and, and um, confused their languages. And so they couldn't understand each other. And so the, the story ends that they were scattered across the earth. And we wonder how we have different um, languages and, and, and things like that and ethnicities and how we arrived in different locations of the earth and stuff. And a lot of it is rooted in the story of the Tower of Babel. And I remember thinking about that. Because somebody told me in my family, they said, well, God split the races up for some reason, and I just don't think it's our part to put them back together. And I remember being a little kid going, that makes so much sense. I mean, I can't play God. I mean, who am I? <laughs> you hear the false humility in that? Who am I to marry a black woman? Because how can I undo what God apparently had a reason for doing? Well, I now know that that's racism. <laughs> I now know that that's bias and that's prejudice. I didn't know that when I was nine, but when I was 16 years old. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I started coming to church at the river, and I noticed that um, at our church there were a lot of white people, but a lot of black people, Mexican, Afghanistanian. Um, I think that's the way you pronounce that. Um, today we have, a, we have Pakistani uh, missionaries that were in Mongolia, um, you just look around, and there's people from the nations here. And even when I got—it's always been that way. And I was 16, I came, and um, my friend—I had black friends um, at school with me. Um, but I looked around the room at church, and I noticed there were mixed marriages, meaning black and whites married and things like that. And I didn't think much about it, but I never really had dealt with the question. 
And one day when I was reading my Bible, as I began to read from Ephesians and read some of the New Testament epistles, it became overwhelmingly clear to me that the Bible teaches that Jesus, through his blood and his death, burial, and resurrection, has once and for all torn apart the social racial constructs and, as the words of God says, torn down the middle wall of separation and that in him we are a royal, a holy race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation altogether. The Bible says that we're being built together a spiritual house of different bricks. Um, And so you may be the black brick or the white brick or the Mexican brick or the Hispanic or the Chinese, the Asian brick, but in Jesus Christ, you're not any of those things. And one of the things I love about the body of Christ is that the church should be the place where race fades away. And some people would get frustrated at me for saying that. I'm not saying that we should not listen to different uh, perspectives and understandings, and we need to stand with people and condemn injustice. But Jesus Christ has made a way where in one beautiful mosaic, the church shows that Christ is alive and well, and in the midst of a tense world, there's unity. I remember reading those scriptures, and it dawned on me that that saying I grew up with, God must have split the races up for a reason. I don't think it's our place to put it back together. I thought, that is so stupid. That's so asinine. That is so unbiblical. And the people told me that were Christians. That's against the heart of the Father. It's racist and it's evil. And I began to realize, I thought about it because I had a friend, they were like, because I told a friend this at one time, and they said, well, uh, let's, say, let's say you married someone that was uh, half black. And I'm like, no, that, that, that's, that's still the same thing. She's like, well, then who's that person going to marry? I'm like, good point. She said, what if they're one-fourth black, Jared? How about Asian? How about one-tenth Asian and one-tenth Native American and 80% Caucasian? Is that good enough? And I remember this person telling me this, this friend of mine, and I was like, dang, that makes a lot of sense. And, <laughs> and she said, it's okay, Jared. She said, everyone's a little racist. And I remember laughing at that. And I was like, well, we shouldn't be. And, but it made me feel so dumb because I was like, that is such a dumb thought. Who came up with that? In fact, I'll go a step further. Um, Dr. Vody Bauckham, who is a uh, black pastor and minister and influential man of God in the body of Christ, he was teaching on the issue of racial reconciliation in a church a long time ago. And he said, race is a social construct. So we all find our origins in the man Adam and Eve. And because of that, we are all of one race, until, and that's the human race, until we've been born again and filled with the Spirit and saved by Jesus Christ and bear His name, and then we are the holy race. He said, in fact, we're actually all the same color. We're just in different shades of the palette. You see, in your skin has something called melanin. And depending on which ethnicity you are, mostly that melanin blends in a different way. And the more you have, the darker your skin is, and the less you have, the lighter your skin is. But at the end of the day, you're all in the, cell, in the same shade of the palette. And the crazy thing is if you ever take a DNA test on yourself, you'd be seeing all kinds of things in there, German and uh, uh, you know West Indies, and, and, and I think I, we have Native American. I think it's Cherokee. I'm not sure which shade it is in, in my skin. Um, Irish and all kinds of stuff. We all are such a composite at this point in history of different lineages and ethnicities in our blood 
and in our skin that we, I, I mean, we're all the same. It's like the Toby Mac song says, we all bleed the same. We're more beautiful when we come together. But here's the thing. I'm not so considered, I'm not so concerned about the blood in our body so much as I am the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of a brown skin, not white, not black, but a Roman era, Jewish, Palestinian, uh, Arabian uh, skin toned, um, mixed complexion, Hebrew man named Jesus Christ, who laid his life down on a cross so that all of us could know the Father and not bear the identity of our flesh where I don't have to grow up being white. doesn't matter if I have white skin. Let me tell you something. I don't want to be white, man. I don't want to be white. You, if you look at some of the stuff that white people have done throughout history, my goodness, it is absolutely evil and atrocious. Just look at slavery in the United States of America. Just look at uh, a lot of the conquest and the colonialization of different tribes and cultures and nations. I don't want to be white. That'd be terrible to be white. But the crazy thing is, if you go over to Africa in some countries, they'll kill me because I'm white. And yet, they could also turn the sword on each other in different countries uh, because you're not the right type of black. If you're from uh, Kenya and you're in Uganda, there's different tribes. One of our mission partners uh, that we absolutely love, Pastor Paul Dungu, one of the mission partners that we support monthly financially from the river, he's an apostle and an apostolic leader overseeing 60,000 believers in the African bush. Um, naturally is a man from Kenya. He has black skin. And yet him and Pastor Keith and Pastor Carl and our eldership and our leadership, um, we're all one. We never, we never sit around and talk about, you know, our differences and stuff because there's so much that unites us that we are so excited about, which is uh, Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And Pastor Paul Dungu, he, the way he talks about the way the tribes are violent towards each other over there, it, it's just heartbreaking. You know, tribalism is nothing new. It's, it's been everywhere. And unfortunately, some of that bias and prejudice still lives on in different parts of America and in different neighborhoods and ways that people see each other. One thing that I am grateful, though, for is the, the message of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that he said one day he had a dream that white people and black people would all be able to live out together uh, the, 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 the meaning of the Constitution and so on and so forth. And he said one day that all four of his children prayerfully would be judged by the co content of their skin or sorry, the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. And I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up in um, a season where we were drinking out of different water fountains. I mean, how evil, how wicked, or using different bathrooms, or not allowed to play on the same sport teams and all that kind of stuff, and um, just evil and wicked. And, and what this has done for me is it's given me an opportunity to empathize and to do what the book of Romans and the Bible says, which is to weep with those that weep. You know, Jesus, who was a Jewish man, was willing to go out of his way and have a conversation with a Samaritan woman, which was so scandalous because she's a woman, but also because they're a Samaritan. And if you didn't know anything about the story, uh, whenever Jesus had that conversation in the Gospels, Samaritans were viewed as half-breeds by the Jews. And so the people that Jesus came to save, that he was born into in humanity, had a racist bent against the Samaritans and also had a class bent against women. And so Jesus, the Son of God, is willing to bypass the normal protocol path to sit down and have a conversation with a Samaritan woman because he was willing to demonstrate that Samaritan lives matter. 
And all lives matter, including Samaritan lives. And it's not just about Jews. It's not just about men. It's not just about class. It's about people. Every single human being has a soul and a purpose. And Pharisees got mad at him. People got mad. But he was willing to take the time and sit down with the Samaritan woman. And I thank God that the Lord has uh, broken down so many of those walls where we can have these kind of conversations. And it's incumbent upon Christians to sit down with your brothers and your sisters that feel mistreated, that feel like they haven't been heard, and to empathize. And not to just talk, but to listen. And to weep with those that weep. And to hear their heart. And so that's what I did. That's what I've been doing the last week, week and a half. And um, I've learned a lot. I've heard a lot. And I don't negate anything that anybody's saying. You know, I have a saying that a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an idea. In other words, if it happened to you, no one can really talk you out of it because it happened. And it hurts my heart to hear some of the experiences the black community has still been experiencing, even unto this day. So how do we respond is the question, though, because everybody's talking about this. Everybody's got questions and everybody's got supposed answers. But we have to be very careful because what could be a spiritual moment can easily become a carnal moment. You know, Pastor Carl Medley, who's uh, the associate pastor at our church, um, is, is, you know, the way the world defines it is black, even though he wouldn't tell you that he's black because we don't, well, we don't identify by our race here. We don't say, I'm black, you're, you know, I'm white, you're black, I'm Hispanic, you're a person of color. We don't talk like that in our staff. We, on, we constantly affirm who Christ says we are in one another. And, um, but Pastor Carl, the way he's always shared it, there's a lot of hostility in the flesh, and we have to be careful because a lot of times we have to have these conversations, but sometimes we have these conversations, it's easy uh, to lump people into categories and to be defensive. You know, um, case in point is just because, you, you know, you're black doesn't mean you've been mistreated. And a person with black skins looking at a person saying that, like, how can you know? You just, you know, you just profiled me because of that. But then, on the other hand, some uh, the black community can point at the white community and say something like, you know, you don't know and you're evil and you're privileged because you're white. And you're talking to a white individual, maybe whose dad killed himself when he was young, grew up with a drug addict mom and was a runaway and strung out and didn't have any bootstrap to pull himself upon. And now he feels profiled because he's white. And we can have these conversations and sometimes we're not careful. They can turn into these flesh grievances where as Pastor Carl would say, we can become the thing that we hate. And I have been wondering in all this, what's the ultimate solution? Because we're protesting, you know, marching, um, posting, things like that, hashtag Blackout Tuesday, all these kind of things. And ultimately, Second Chronicles, I believe, 714 is the solution. If my people... God said, are, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You know, protesting is, is one action. Postings, one action. Conversations are an action. And actions are necessary. But let me tell you, nothing will change the nation like a mighty revival movement of prayer. When the people of God the Spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-filled, Jesus-loving, Bible-based believers of every tribe and every tongue and every nation as the book of Revelation sees it, comes together 
arm in arm, hand in hand, and lifts our voice in a consecrated cry for justice. That is what will move the mountain. I heard a pastor the other day say, you can't pass a law to change a heart. So in the church, we've got to talk about these things, but we've got to pray about them more than anything else that we do and pray together and weep with those that weep and talk and shape and most importantly, speak the truth. Pastor Carl was saying this week on another podcast that we did. He said, you know, a lot of us are being stirred up on our emotions right now and rightly so because God gave us emotions for a reason. But we can't be led by our emotions. We have to be led by the truth of the word of God. And so many of us have been processing our feelings, anger, righteous anger, indignation, frustration, sadness, despair. The Bible says in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think a lot of people have grown almost hopeless in the midst of this. And we're watching our nation just just at war, even like within itself. And it's, and it's painful. But we're seeing a lot of unity as well. But we're going to have to unite around prayer. We have to unite around the Word of God. And we have to unite around the truth. And so I would say this. People are asking, what do we do? Well, number one, we have to empathize. You can't rush to argue. You have to listen. If you know somebody who's hurting right now, empathize. Don't just argue and don't just instruct. Empathize. Listen. Actually listen. Don't just listen to respond. Listen to understand. Listen. If you're thinking the whole time about a rebuttal, about how I can say this, then you're not doing it right. Just listen for listening's sake. And after we've listened, and after we've empathized, and after we've wept, and after we've felt, we've, we've got to find the facts. You know, the interesting thing, I went and looked this up because I was really curious. And um, depending on where you're listening, if you're listening to CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, I promise you, you're going to be stressed out to the nines because whether or not you know this, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, whatever it is, the media thrives on uh, destruction. It thrives on fear. It thrives on division and hatred and the worst story of the day. Do you know why? Because people love drama. Humans love drama. And it's easy to grasp onto that. If you don't believe me, just I just want to ask you, when's the last time you watch like CNN or Fox News run a story on a young man helping an elderly lady cross the street? You don't get that often. Usually it's nine more people died in Little Rock today. A drug deal went bad. Somebody's dead. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to watch and figure that out. The spirit of the world, the Bible calls the enemy the spirit of the air, and he rides the airwaves of media to turn our heads in different directions towards device of uh, means and hatred and and, um, strife. The Holy Spirit, though, in the Word of God, gives us hope. In fact, we did a podcast, Michael and I, a few weeks ago called The Power of Perspective. I encourage you to check it out. How And I literally, I didn't even know this stuff was coming at me, but I say, you know, if you look down, you'll be discouraged. If you look around, you're going to be distracted. But if you will look up, because God told Abraham to look up, you've got to look up to what heaven is saying. Look up in the word of God. Look up what the Holy Spirit is saying in the moment. You will find strength and courage. And nobody can take that from you, which Jesus Christ has given you. So after we've empathized with wept, we've, we've got to find facts. So I went and I looked at some different media outlets and began to compare the statistics. And I was shocked because... The interesting thing is the police officers that were involved in this, one of them was African-American, one of them was Asian. So we actually had a diverse, eclectic group of police officers that were being complicit in the killing of George Floyd. And 
it kind of gave me a question mark of, do we even know if this was racially motivated? Like, one could be- one could reckon and think that Derek Chauvin probably was a racist. I mean, we don't really know. But the thing is, we don't actually really know for sure. But we latched onto it pretty quick. And I'm thankful that we're using a moment to talk about racism in the body of Christ. But... Um, but I wasn't, I'm like, man, I don't even know, you know, kind of been going all the way on this and I'm not even sure. And, um, so we started looking things up and I figured this out. What's crazy is a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to die at the hands of a, of a, of a black citizen than vice versa. And right now, you know, there's so much fear wedged between the police. And in fact, I've been, the stuff I've been sharing on Facebook has been the uniting stuff. I've been watching black people and police officers hugging police officers, kneeling with their brothers saying, we're with you. We're not against you. Um, I, I saw at the site of George Floyd's murder in Minnesota, that there was a group of Christians that came together of every race and they asked for forgiveness for any bias they've had against each other. They ate food together. Somebody preached the gospel. Several gave their life to Jesus Christ and they prayed and sang worship songs together. And that's not on the news, y'all. That's not on the news. And it's a shame it's not on the news because that's the answer. We, we don't know what all is on the media. We don't know. I know nine Black citizens were killed by the police last year, and it's horrible. It's horrible what happened to Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, and it's horrible what happened to Botham Jean and Eric Garner, and you go on, and now George Floyd. It's horrible. But there was also four black citizens that were killed in the riots over the last two days. A man named David Dorn, who's a sheriff from uh, St. Louis, a retired police captain, 77 years old. He was just trying to protect his friend's store from being broken into and stolen from, and, and somebody shot him and left him for dead as he bled out on the sidewalk. And there's no march for him. There's no funeral. I mean, there will be a funeral. There's no march. There's no media. No one's covering that. And his life matters too. But the media took a narrative and ran with it, and they went full-blown. And it's no disrespect to George Floyd. It's no disrespect to the cries for justice and all that. But my point is, sometimes even righteous cries turn into anger. The Bible says in Psalms, I believe, be angry and do not sin. And as Christians, we have to remember that we're not, we're not monolithic Republicans or Democrats. We're not an eclectic group of liberals or conservatives. We don't check the boxes. We don't pledge allegiance to a party. We don't pledge allegiance ultimately to a president, I'm thankful for the United States of America. This is our nation. We should honor our flag, honor our police, but we should also honor all lives. We should honor black lives. We should honor the lives that were lost in the riots. We should honor the uh, the lives of the unborn. 60 million babies have been aborted in the last, uh, what is it, uh, 40 years since Roe v. Wade. In fact, guys, over 800 black babies are aborted every single day, most of which, the overwhelming majority of which, are pain-capable, viable babies that feel the pain of being burned and torn apart in their mother's wombs, only they can't gasp or cry or say, I can't breathe or call out for mama because they're inside mama's womb being killed at the moment. In New York City, more black babies are aborted than are born. And it's it's an atrocity. It's so evil. It's hypocrisy. And many people are willing to say black lives matter, but they're not willing to say their lives matter. The black babies' lives matter. What's my point in all this? My point is the world will never get this right, y'all. I'm not trying to be hopeless. I'm giving you hope. The world will never get this right. 
There's not enough laws you can pass. There's not enough conversations you can have. There's not enough books you can read. We will never live in a just society or season until Jesus Christ, the Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, comes back from heaven, splits the eastern sky, establishes his throne in Jerusalem, gathers every nation, tribe, and tongue to Jerusalem, and renders complete justice where there's been injustice. And he writes every wrong, and he smooths out every high place, and he exalts everyone that's humble, and he humbles everyone and everything that's exalted. He's King of kings, Lord of lords final say 100% justice and there in him there is no partiality whatsoever when Jesus Christ does that on that day so there's gonna be a lot of white people that are gonna be shocked to find out that Jesus isn't white there's gonna be a lot of people shocked to find out that the color of their skin and uh, the economic class they grew up in and the money they had and even how much influence they had in the ministry or whatever Ultimately, he's, he weighs the heart, and he will render to each their due. That's the hope we hold to in Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're a Christian, you don't check the boxes. You can't. You stand with injustice everywhere. But listen, even those that are crying out for one shade of injustice over here aren't crying out for the other shades of injustice that are everywhere. And then there are those that aren't crying out for any justice. Who's like, I just need to be silent. We're sitting over here like, say something. Some people don't even know what to say, y'all. But here's what we do now. The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. What happened in Minnesota is absolutely evil. It's horrible. It's atrocious. I'm praying and believing for justice against the officers and for peace for the Floyd family. What's happening in cries against racism? The church always has had to have been a proponent against racism. Even in the early days of slavery, it was evil how the church stood by in America. And just let it happen. Much like the church stood by sometimes and during the Holocaust and let the Jews be hauled off and killed because they were Jews in, Ger- in Nazi Germany. Much like the church has been silent the whole time as 60 million babies have been aborted, many of which are black. But listen, in Christ, there's no black man, white man, no Jew, no Gentile, no Greek, nor male, nor female. And this is all in the Bible. This is Ephesians. This is Galatians. You can go read it. The beauty of the gospel is that in the blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all are included and all bear that name. All that bear that name are not part of any human race. We are all part of the same holy race. We should fight for our brothers, sisters, die for our brothers and sisters, and love one another as God has loved us. Let the golden rule be the golden standard. Let us love our enemies, forgive our neighbors, cry out for justice and believe the best about one another in the body of Christ, to weep with those that weep, to listen rather than just talk, to empathize and rejoice, as 1 Corinthians said, when the truth wins out and not grip onto any media narrative from any news channel or any slant because the world will lie to us, but the word of God is true. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And I'm telling you, when you believe the word of God and you grip onto it, your identity is in Christ, you will offend somebody. I mean, they killed Jesus. They killed him. John the Baptist killed the apostles, almost all of them, murdered, martyred. Because when you take a stand for the word of God, you will not check any societal box perfectly. The Bible says that we're supposed to be peculiar people. We are called to be different. Our opinions, our thoughts, and our humility should speak volumes to a different standard than the world. I want to leave you with this quote I heard the other day from a preacher named J.C. Ryle. He was a 
preacher in a revival and one of the moves of God in Awakenings, I believe in the 1800s, maybe the early 1900s, J.C. Ryle, he said this. He said, give me a Bible and a candlestick and put me in a dark closet and I can tell you everything that's going on in the world. What's he saying? He's saying, man, if you read the Word of God, it's all in there. This shouldn't be news to us. Racism isn't news to us. Anger isn't news to us. Murder isn't news to us. Injustice isn't news to us. As Pastor Keith has famously said, the world's not evolving, it's devolving. And I want to tell you guys that even though the world is devolving, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, leading His glorious church, the body is going to use us to make a difference and shine and outshine the darkness in these last days. I love you guys. This week, let's empathize, weep with those that weep, but let's contend for truth and facts and faith as we continue to follow Jesus Christ with everything in our lives. I love you all. I pray you have a blessed, wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the RSTV podcast. Please share it with a friend. Until next time.